father to actually make God being God, not human, is so big in thought, power, and love that he kind of separates into three beings, but it's really just one being. I've often heard Jesus, Holy Spirit, and God the Father is like a married couple, two separate beings, but same in thought and deed. What are your thoughts? So uh, I actually um, believe, and I think the Bible makes it very clear that no, they are not one individuality. That's not the one. The And if you actually look in the Hebrew, just, just like the English word can mean one, one can be a singularity or one can be a plurality, like we are all one. We are all united, okay? Uh, there's many of us, but we're one. And so when it talks about um, God as, as being one, it actually uses the plurality form of the word. And so God has God the Father has his own identity and individuality. The Holy Spirit has his own identity and individuality. And God the Son has his own identity and individuality. And they are one. Uh, God is an infinite being and we are a finite being. We can understand some of this, but we will never become infinite. So there will always be aspects beyond us, not because God's restrictive, uh, simply because we are not infinite. We don't have capacity for full understanding, but through all eternity, we will grow in our depths and appreciation, understanding of who God is, because he is the center of our affections and our attention, and and, and he wants us to come to know him more. So, um, But it's difficult to speculate about these things because of our current circumstance on earth. But in my view, three individuals united as one, all with uh, life original, unborrowed, underived. The next comment is, Pastor Mark Cox did an excellent job filling in for Dr. Jennings. His notes for the class were incredibly comprehensive and enlightening. I plan to share them with others. Will he be available again from time to time to sub when Dr. Jennings is not available? He was a great, he was a great compliment to the class. Well, I'm certainly happy to have him teach. It'll be up to, uh, to Mark whether, whether he has the time and is willing to invest in preparing and, and teaching the class. But yes, I would love to have him teach again. I have been trying to use the design law lens whenever I'm reading, but I was reading my morning devotion, February 27, the book that I may know him, and I'm having a hard time doing that with this sentence. If you could please do it, quote, the power that inflicted retributive justice upon man's substitute and surety was the same power that sustained and upheld the suffering one under the tremendous weight of wrath that would have fallen upon the sinful world. So first question, first, the first, so I'm going to give you principles. I'm not sure I'll answer it today. In fact, I, uh, if you were my student and, and I, you were my class, I would tell you to do this and I would tell you to go work on it and then come back and then we'd have a conversation. So I'm going to do that for you today. What I want you to do is I want you to, if you don't have it, there's an online LNG White app or website that you can go and you can search all the published works of hers and you should type in retributive justice. You should type in wrath. And you should uh, do a comprehensive search of how she used these terms and how she applied them so you can derive a meaning of what those words meant when she used them. Because the difficulty when we read things today is that we read in our current meaning, and I'll give you the one on wrath. For instance, in the Bible, wrath means letting go. Jesus on the cross experienced the wrath of God and my God, my God, why are you beating and torturing me? No, why have you abandoned me? Let me go. Romans 1, the wrath of God is being revealed against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth about, their, uh, about him through their wickedness. And that was in verse uh, 18 and in verse uh, 22, 24, and 26, Paul says what, what God does. Therefore, God gave them up. Therefore, God abandoned them. Therefore, God let them go. So 
uh, wrath is letting go and setting free to reap what one has chosen. The wicked choose separation from God. Christ chose at the cross. And if you remember the events leading up to the cross, he chose to go through the trial and tribulation in the cross for the purpose of destroying sin and saving humankind. He said to Peter, put away the sword. Is this not the purpose I've come into the world for? So God abandoned or let Christ go to reap what Christ chose, which was to confront the infection of sin and selfishness for the purpose of destroying it and overcoming it with love. And that meant all the way to the point of death that Christ would not be tempted even unto death to use his power in self-centered ways or selfish ways. And that was the ultimate temptation. And though Christ had to be let go of his father because Christ couldn't die if the source of life didn't separate from him. And so this is what was actual objective working out. But the retributive justice, I want you to do a little research on that. And and uh, this week, if you find that you haven't gotten your answer, send your question in again for next week, and I'll answer it next week. Uh, I have a couple of Adventist friends and a pastor that are convinced that the revival that is happening at several colleges in America are the working of the Holy Spirit accompanied by miracles. However, I am convinced uh, or convicted that this is the spurious loud cry spoken of by Ellen White. One of my friends is a professional and she said that she had been healed of an eye problem by a prophet at one of the meetings. What is your view of what is happening? I actually don't have enough information about what is happening to offer a view. I would have to research this and investigate and gather information. Um, the I think you have articulated the two possibilities. It is the work of God or it is the work of a counterfeit. Those are the two possibilities. I don't have enough information simply because of reports that are coming in for me to make a decision, so I can't weigh in on that. Uh, is your book, The God-Shaped Heart, in your book, The God-Shaped Heart, you speak of seven levels of maturity. You speak of people reasoning at levels one through four as immature, but are they lost? Paul had a wrong con- uh, God concept and killed others for it, and he reasoned at levels one through four. Was this just immaturity or sinful? People, uh, please help me understand the difference between immaturity and unconversion, because it seems that one can be immature and still saved. Uh, at what point is one converted? A child can love even if only capable of reasoning at one through four. I think you've actually articulated this quite well. Um, it really has to do with the motivation of the heart, not the explanation one gives on a cognitive exam. The converted are those who have died to fear and selfishness and been reborn to love and trust in God. And thus the methods they apply to others are truth, love, and freedom. That is ultimately the maturity of a level five person. Um, But a level five person who loves God and loves others and would not coerce others and force others, like Paul was doing on Damascus Road, Paul was in an unsaved and unconverted position, even though he believed in God prior to Damascus Road. He converted after that, and you notice his principles and motives changed. He uh, before would, would imprison and stand there and hold cloaks while people were stoning others to death thinking he's doing God's work. Afterwards, he said, let every person be fully persuaded in their own mind. And he would not use those methods. And that's the the difference. 
But there are many people whose hearts have been changed, but they've never actually rethought through their Bible doctrines class that they were taught in high school. And if you ask them why Jesus had to die, they still give a legal level four explanation. Well, somebody had to die to pay the penalty, so forth and so on. Okay, that's their cognitive explanation. That does not put them in a lost camp because their heart operates at level five where they uh, love God, love others, and would not coerce other people. It's all, but it's so much better when the understanding catches up to where the heart's operating. Conversely, um, if someone has an explanation that says, oh, I believe that uh, we are saved by God's love and Christ died to win us to love, say a level five explanation, what some might call the moral influence theory. But that's where they explain it. But they would be willing to pass laws to save lives, to coerce consciences and force people to behave in certain ways. They're actually operating at level four and their actual character then is not in harmony with Christ because they're willing to coerce the conscience of others. So it really is about functional operation and that's the difference. But we want to understand that, yes, when a person first comes to Christ, they're often very childlike, but as they grow in Christ, the goal is to grow to their understanding and their character, harmonize it, that understanding friends of God, which is level seven. I work a very physical job, lots of driving, lots of bending. In a day, I usually lift 10,000 pounds of product. Muscles are sore all the time, and I've injured my low back. I have my Achilles tendon in the past. I've used ibuprofen, robaxacet, uh, when my muscles and tendons hurt, I'm not fond of the of the prospect of liver and stomach damage in the future. I got some CBD and THC lotions to apply to sore muscles. It's wonderful. Pain is gone. You said several times marijuana isn't good. Uh, basically, and the question cuts off, but I'm sure they're going to ask, is this okay? The THC you should be very cautious of. THC is a neurotoxin. It, it damages the white matter. It causes uh, cognitive problems. Uh, THC, there's, there's, no, there's no medicinal benefit to THC. CB, cannabidiol, uh, and THC is the, is the product that causes people to get a buzz or get high. Cannabidiol, and you can absorb that through the skin through the lotion, so I don't recommend that. CBD, cannabidiol, has no um, uh, mind-altering capacity. There is actual uh, medicinal benefits associated with CBD oil and CBD, so I have no problem in, uh, with using CBD. If you're getting quality CBD, and the problem with that is 20% of samples taken at CBD dispensaries had THC in it, so one out of five times, 80% it didn't. So it's if you can get quality CBD, I encourage you, that's fine. Use it if it's beneficial. Uh, late, but there are other there are other natural remedies besides that that you can use to help with your sore muscles, and I would encourage you to look uh, explore some of those as well. Hydration, uh, magnesium, uh, um, uh, hydrotherapies, massage, other things can help as well. Lately, I have been hearing that although Christ is not a created being, he is begotten of God, meaning that he came from God the Father, a chip off the old block. Is that this, uh, what begotten means? No, it's not what begotten means. Um, but that, that's an old English translation of the Greek word um, monogenes. Mono means one. Genes means um, like where you get genetics from. And, uh, and so it actually means one of a kind, unique. So Jesus is one of a kind, unique. Uh, and that's the, the right understanding of he is God's only begotten, one and only son, the one unique one. Uh, no one else is like him. Uh, they also state that just like Eve came from Adam, Jesus' son came from the Father. Uh, I reject that. Um, Jesus has life original, unborrowed, and underived. That's how Ellen White describes it, and that's what I believe. He's fully God in every way. Lucifer is jealous because he did not see any difference between him and Christ. That has not, not because there wasn't a difference, but because Christ was 
uh, the go-between who would leave infinity in order to interact with created beings on their plane of existence. And when he did so, he manifested in the form of an angel, but he was never an angel. He was always fully God. Uh, so she, uh, this person says, I feel like I need a Bible study on this. So, uh, but this, this attack on the divinity and, and the humanity of Christ is not a new attack. It, happened, it started in the first century. The New Testament writers were warning about it. Uh, there's multiple different attacks, 10, 15, I don't know how many different types of ways Christ's divinity and or humanity is attacked. The, uh, the, 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 um, the, the um, deists attacked and said that Christ did not actually come in the human flesh. He only came in and appeared to be in flesh, but he really wasn't in the flesh. This was one of the attacks, in the, and this is what John was talking about in First John. Those who deny Christ came in the flesh are the Antichrist. Okay, it's one of the attacks in the early church. It persisted. And then there were the, the Arians who came along and said, well, well, he was a, a chip off the old block. He was a demigod, a lesser god, a, a descendant, a begotten of the, of the Father, but he wasn't fully God. And see, the problem with this, I don't think it's scriptural. I don't think it, uh, it makes, but the problem is, if he is not fully God, then what do we learn in the life of Christ? What we learn is that God the Father is selfish and is willing to sacrifice other people to protect himself. Only if we understand that Christ is fully and equally God in every way do we understand that the full, equal creator God is willing to sacrifice himself for us. Any other subordination of Christ undermines the entire plan of salvation. Also denies scripture like John 1, 1, that, that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Without him, nothing was made that has been made and so forth. All things are made by him and for him and through him, etc. So now I, I reject that out of hand. I appreciate Thursday's blog on tithing. However, to be fair, I will share here a quote from Ellen White from Gospel Workers. Here's the quote. The portion that God has reserved for himself is not to be diverted to any other purpose uh, than that which he has specified. Let none feel at liberty to retain their tithe to be used according to their own judgment. They are not to use it for themselves in an emergency, nor to apply it as they see fit, uh, even in what they may regard as the Lord's work, uh, end quote. Uh, a contradiction. No, and they say a contradiction. No, not at all. This is actually saying the tithe, if you put it with the other quotes that I have in the, in the lesson, that the tithe is to be used for the advancement of the gospel ministry. That's what it's for. Uh, so other areas of the Lord's work, and if you read the, the quote in Gospel Workers, which I, I, I looked up very quickly, she goes on to say some might think it'd be good to use for, for, for Christian education. And she says it's not to be used for Christian education. That's a good work, but you're not to put the tithe into Christian education, okay? Uh, Christian, is, it is supposed to go for the advancement of the gospel ministry. And that's where she said that she gave her money to, to her tithe money to pastor's wives who were not employed by the church because they were doing the advancement of the gospel ministry. So uh, I, I don't think there's a contradiction at all. She's saying don't use your judgment to think other worthy causes are appropriate to place the tithe. But I don't think she's saying don't use your judgment to determine whether where you're placing it is advancing the gospel ministry or not. That's what you're supposed to do. Am I placing it where the gospel is being advanced? Then that's, a, that's the Lord's treasury and where to do that. Uh, when we pray for others, example, God, please help them to know you. Does this help us or the person we are praying for? Yes, both. When we pray, we are changed by that conversation with God, and the person that we're praying for can be helped, can be helped 
uh, or is helped if you believe that positive influences are brought to bear. It doesn't mean they'll come to know God. Since my pastor told me it gives God permission to work on them. That doesn't make sense to me. Please explain what happens if we pray for somebody. Well, the idea here, and I think it probably comes out of Daniel chapter 10, where Daniel began to pray that the uh, Jeremiah's prophecy of 70 years captivity, which at the time frame was coming to an end, that God would act and have the king set the people free and return to Jerusalem, that he prays and fasts for 21 days, and Gabriel comes and says, as soon as you began to pray, I was dispatched, and I went to work on the king, but the prince of Persia was opposing me, and I've got to leave because no one helps me except Michael, and the prince of Greece is coming to, to help the prince of Persia against me. What's all this describing? It's describing that Satan's Satan is the prince of this world. So the prince of Persia is one of his underlings, and the prince of Greece is one of his underlings that have been given assignments to work to obstruct light, obstruct truth, and bring evil and destruction on the world. And these evil angels are working on the mind of Darius to keep him fearful and selfish and greedy and, and to inflame the worst passions in him so that he will not set the people free and return them to Jerusalem. And so Gabriel is there to bring light and truth and, and the principles of God to bear truth, love, and freedom uh, to his heart to keep his mind free to make his own choice and influence him to make the healthy choice. And that choice and that activity, according to that text, happened when Daniel began to pray. Now, would God have done it anyway? Perhaps. Uh, we don't know. It was already prophesied by, by Jeremiah that this was going to happen. Uh, did, was God dependent on Daniel's prayer? I don't believe he was. But in the landscape of how liberty works, uh, let's just consider this example. You have somebody in your life that has told you to, for whatever reason, no fault of your own, that they don't want to see you anymore, they don't want to speak to you anymore, to leave them alone and stay out of their life. And you've attempted to do anything you can for them. But that, nope, they won't do it. What would you do? Would you keep going over and pestering them every day? No, you would probably step back and give them what they've asked for and leave them alone. Now, how about if that person that said that to you was one of your own children and their spouse came to you and asked you to go and intervene on their behalf because that person is, is doing something that's very harmful and, and they really are begging you to go and try one more time. Because you are asked by their spouse to go, would you go one more time? And they say, why are you here? I asked you, I asked you not to talk to me, but your spouse has asked me to come. And so I think that's kind of what this is. Yes, I'm here because my friend Daniel has asked me to come. And so I think that's what your pastor is trying to suggest. I read your most recent blog on tithing. It reinforced my questions for you today. In 1977, I gave my heart and soul to Jesus at the ripe old age of 33. Uh, my first blessing was learning the 1888 message of righteousness in Christ. Since being introduced to your ministry, I have been richly blessed and taught about God's design laws. My question for your ministry is this. How many unsaved does your ministry reach, or is your ministry mainly geared toward getting setting SDA church members uh, and, and it cut off. So um, so the, the question, how many, uh, we know that we have a good portion of people who follow us and use our materials that are not Seventh-day Adventists. We have no way of, of, you know, the Bible talks about those who sow seeds 
are not the same one who reap the fruits. There's those who sow and those who reap. Our, the seeds of truth that we share, we give away resources at, uh, at non-Adventist events um, all over, and our resources go out and they spread through the landscape of human society in various places, our blogs, our, our podcasts, our lessons, our print materials that we send out and they're shared. And, and we know that we have many non-Adventists that follow us. My books, uh, could it, um, The God-Shaped Brain, The God-Shaped Heart, The Aging Brain are all published by non-Adventist publishers and are sold in non-Adventist Christian bookstores. But I have no idea how to quantify how many non-Adventists we reach. So I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't answer that. So many people I interact with and who are under uh, my care as patients have very distorted fear, f- distorted fear of God. Does Come and Reason have a simple sharing tool that helps share the comforting truth about who God the Father really is. I want to help these individuals so much, but often have very limited time to speak on these more complicated distortions of God and would love simple ways. So I'd encourage you to get all of our resources, get get some of all of our little sharing tracks, which are real quick, and read them and see, because some of the tracks speak to different issues and and we'll reach people at different places. Get our get our magazines that we share and and, and ship out. See if, uh, and then have those and be familiar with those and share. And I'll tell you, the book "Could It Be the Simple" has been very helpful. And I would say, if you had to start with one book that helps with it, it would be the book "Could It Be the Simple." And uh, and so you can uh, contact if you don't have it, send an email to uh, Francesca at our request uh, email address and ask for one, and we'll send you one. I know way too many young Adventist folks in jail, prison, who want Bibles and godly literature. Does Come and Reason have a printed prison ministry, or will you mail to prisons if I purchase from the website? So one of our um, associates has a prison ministry, and we, uh, and we have developed a um, prison ministry workbook based off of Could It Be This Simple that we have available uh, and we have other supporters, at least one, if not two others, that have prison ministries in different states. I would encourage you to email in at request and begin a conversation with Francesca about these various resources and see what will fit your needs best. Will we be able to have children during the reign of a thousand years? Uh, there is no inspired evidence to support that. The suggestion from Christ, and it's only an, a reading in because he never says, is that in heaven will be like the angels, neither marrying or giving in marriage. But you might say, well, what about those who are already married? Um, it, there, there's just no answer. I, I would tell you, you're going to have to wait and see. We just don't know. So, uh, oh, one more. It looks like there's one more. You answered my question. I feel my tithe would be well-directed. Uh, okay, good. Well, I hope you do that then. That sounds good. All right. Uh, let's go ahead and close with prayer. Gracious Father in heaven, thank you for your your love. Thank you for the truth. And thank you for uh, allowing us to advance your kingdom. Empower us to do so even more effectively. We pray in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Amen.